0: to Everything a Season, Lutheran Reflections Through the Church Year, a weekly devotional series based on readings relevant to the current liturgical season. You can watch this series live on our YouTube page every Wednesday at 7 p.m. Eastern Time. Thanks for tuning in, and now on to this week's discussion.
1: Welcome. We begin in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit.
0: Amen. Amen. Hello, everyone, and welcome to to everything is season Lutheran reflections through the church Here. My name is William Green. William Green, as as always, I'm joined by uh, Pastor uh, Brian King tonight. How are you doing tonight, Pastor?
1: Well, apparently, better than you. But <laughs>
0: that's right. That's, that's okay. right. Yeah. Thank the...
1: you for thank you for being here with us.
0: It's my pleasure. Uh, as we were talking earlier, I woke up early this morning with a, a pretty high fever, so I, I think I'm fighting off uh, a flu. And it's a bit of a miracle that I'm even able to sit in this chair right now, given my condition, even an hour or two ago. So, okay. but I am happy to be here, but uh, please do forgive me if I'm stumbling over words. I'm still, still quite dizzy tonight, but I, I'm here and I'm, I'm very happy to be here.
1: Well, at least you have an excuse for your inability to speak. <laughs> I I ran out of excuses decades ago, so <laughs> right, very good. Thanks for jo- thanks for joining us and the extra effort is much appreciated. Thank
0: you. So uh, so tonight, we're kind of picking off where we left off last time. Um, we're focusing on the last Sunday of the church year for tonight's readings. And um, we read Matthew chapter 25 uh, last episode because uh, the Martin Chemnitz reading that we had uh, dealt specifically with the parable of the, the 10 virgins. Uh, but the prescribed reading in the historic one-year lectionary uh, for the last Sunday of the church year also happens to be Matthew 25. And so um, today we're gonna you know revisit that chapter, uh, look at the the parable of the ten virgins once again, and uh, tonight's reading comes from Uh, Oremus. uh It's a reading from uh, Gregory I uh, of Rome, uh, one of the uh, you know first few uh, popes, right, or bishops, bishops of Rome anyway.
1: Yeah, we Protestants refer to them as bishops.
0: Exactly. Yeah. Right. <laughs>
1: Yeah. And and a bishop, it's interesting, a bishop isn't, by definition, an overseer. Mm -hmm. And in in the Lutheran Church, we do use the term bishop. When we talk about um, seminarians who are doing an internship year, they have a bishop because they're overseeing their action activity. And we refer to that as a vicarage. And -hmm. of course, our, our Anglican friends would know that term. And that a vicar in the like the Church of England is a normal pastor, but he has a bishop over him. Mm. So we use that term vicar in in a very limited sense in in our world, in our church world, because there we have a pastor over the seminarian.
0: Right. So right. Oh, very good. I didn't know that.
1: Yeah, it's it's, it's rather interesting. You know, when you we're not a hierarchical, hierarchical church, mm. that we believe that the congregation is the highest authority and the, the congregations gather together and send it to do, you know, work together and things like that. So we don't really, in our, in our branch of Lutheranism, we don't have bishops and, and others in, in a hierarchy.
0: Right. Right. So while our uh, Roman Catholic friends would refer to Gregory the first as a Pope, we, we just refer to him as Bishop of Rome. Yep. Right. Yep. Very good. It's a good distinction. Um, well, pastor, should we jump into the uh, gospel reading?
1: Yes. Where do you want me to? Do you want me to start with the the parable of the wise and foolish virgins, or do you want me to back up a little bit to give some preamble?
0: Uh, it's totally up to you. If you have another passage prepared that comes a little bit earlier, we can start there. Otherwise, yeah.
1: let's just back up a little bit and then give some context, um, so a little more context to the parable of the wise and foolish virgins. If I if I back up to uh, Matthew twenty four, verse thirty six, and actually. Um, We can put that up on our screen, too, and we can follow along for those who are being visual. Oh, perfect. But of that day and hour, no one knows, not even the angels of heaven, but my Father only. But as the days of Noah were, so also will the coming of the Son of Man be. For as in the days before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage, until the day that Noah entered the ark, and did not know until the flood came and took them all away. being ready, right? Right. Then we move into the faithful servant and the evil servant. Who then is a faithful and wise servant whom his master made ruler over his household to give them food in due season? Blessed is that servant whom his master, when he comes, will find so doing. Assuredly, I say to you that he will make him ruler over all his goods. But if that evil servant says in his heart, my master is delaying his coming, and begins to beat his fellow servants and to eat and drink with the drunkards, The master of that servant will come on a day when he is not looking for him, and at an hour that he is not aware of, and will cut him in two and appoint him his portion with the hypocrites. There shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And then we get into what we're focusing on a bit, the parable of the wise and foolish virgins. Then the kingdom of heaven shall be likened to ten virgins who took their lamps and went out to meet the bridegroom. Now five of them were wise and five were foolish. Those who were foolish took their lamps and took no oil with them. But the wise took oil in their vessels with their lamps. But while the bridegroom was delayed, they all slumbered and slept. And at midnight a cry was heard, Behold, the bridegroom is coming, go out to meet him. Then all those virgins arose and trimmed their lamps. And the foolish said to the wise, Give us some of your oil, for our lamps are going out. But the wise answered, saying, No, lest there should not be enough for us and you, but go rather to those who sell and buy for yourselves while they went to buy, the bridegroom came, and those who were ready went in with him to the wedding, and the door was shut. Afterward, the other virgins came also, saying, Lord, Lord, open to us. But he answered and said, Assuredly, I say to you, I do not know you. Watch, therefore, for you know neither the day nor the hour in which the Son of Man is coming.
0: All right, very good. So, again, this is a, kind of has some heavy stuff here. Um, it is. He, we noted last time that... The end of the church year is about focusing on the last things and the final judgment. And one of the big themes is uh being prepared for the final judgment because you never know when that's going to come. And, and you know, last time we talked about that in the context of death, because uh, you know, for most people that's going to be the cutoff uh as far as uh when your eternity is, is sealed, right? You right. So that, to,
1: yeah, that end result's kind of the same. You 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 go stand before God, right? Exactly.
0: Exactly. And one of the big themes of this gospel passage is, um, you know, we need to take advantage of the opportunity that we have now to repent because there's going to come a time and it's going to come in an instant where uh, that opportunity is going to be removed from us, right? At least in regards to our salvation.
1: Yeah. And I think one of the things we have to bear in mind is that we can't look at God Almighty as some kind little grandfather sitting on a front porch in a rocking chair who winks at sin.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And mm-hmm. we, we tend, oh, how can a loving God, how can, a, you know, as if we knew the mind of God. Right. Uh, he he deals with sin. And right. And his, his son dealt with sin head on, took the full weight and burden upon himself as he bleeds and dies on the cross. So God doesn't wink at sin. It's not as though he's a rule bender it's it's none of that it we we he's loving kind good patient long suffering all those wonderful things but there is a point in god's chronology where it's the end
0: that's right that's right and that's oftentimes not a very popular teaching these days right we have uh a lot of christians kind of tending more towards universalism this idea that ultimately everyone is going to make it to heaven and gain their salvation. But yeah. um, that just uh, doesn't seem to be what the Bible teaches.
1: No, and that's sort of what I, in my mind, sort of led our Christian brothers and sisters th- through the centuries to come up with the idea of purgatory. Mm-hmm. That, you know, eventually anybody will or everybody will make it to heaven. They, they need some time of cleansing and things like that. And in the whole idea of purgatory, it's a bit of a comfort, if you think about it, that that person who you know never knew God well now he has time to get God mm-hmm. or get to mm-hmm. know God and that's not the biblical way at all
0: right It's right um, yeah well, lots of people have speculated that perhaps at the moment of our death we'll have one last chance right to kind of choose our destiny and that most people will choose their salvation but again, that's just not something we see taught in uh, scripture.
1: No, and the Bible says that no one seeks God. And and we realize that God seeks us. And, and there's a time, and today is that time, when he seeks us and he wants us to be with him. And your reading uh, from from um, Gregory brings that up a little bit, if you want to it jump does. into that.
0: It does. Sure. Now's a good time for that. So again, this is uh, the reading for the last Sunday of the church here in the Oremus uh, Breviary. And this is from Gregory the First of Rome. When the prophet saw this day, he said, that day will be a day of wrath, a day of distress and agony, a day of ruin and misery, a day of darkness and gloom, a day of clouds and hurricanes, a day of trumpet blast and uproar. Consider, my friend, how harsh for the hearts of the wicked the prophet saw that that day of judgment would be. He would not find enough words to describe it, but how great will be the happiness of the elect those who will be found worthy to rejoice when they see him again. At sight of him, they observe all the elements trembling, and they are to enter marriage together with him. They rejoice at the bridegroom's marriage, and yet they themselves are the bride. In the bridal chamber of the eternal kingdom, God is joined to our sight, and this sight will never be parted from the embraces of his love. Then the door of the kingdom, which only today was open to those who repent, will be closed to those who wail. Even then there will be repentance, but it will be fruitless. No one will find pardon then who squanders the time appropriate for it. Because of this, Paul said, See, now is the acceptable time. See, now is the day of salvation. The prophet, seek for the Lord while he can be found. Call upon him while he is near. Hence the Lord does not hear the same foolish virgins when they call upon him. Once the door of the kingdom has been shut, they have lost their chance to be near him. And then he added, last of all, the rest of the virgins also came saying, Lord, Lord, open to us. But he said in reply, truly, I say to you, I do not know you. I know no one was unwilling to listen to his precepts here. Will there be found worthy to receive what he asked for? It is in vain the one who has squandered the time suitable for repentance comes before the door of the kingdom, which his entreaties.
1: Yeah, it's 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 a very black and white here's the decisive moment. And just to bring a little uh, more information to what you just read, the Isaiah or the, the the prophet, as he's referred to is is a quote from Isaiah fifty five, six and seven, which says, Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Mm -hmm. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. Let him return to the Lord that he may have compassion on him and to our God, for he will abundantly pardon. Mm -hmm. And St. Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 6, working together with him then, we appeal to you not to receive the grace of God in vain. For he says, in a favorable time, I listened to you and in a day of salvation, I have helped you. Behold, now is the favorable time. Behold, now is the day of salvation.
0: Right, right. So here we get a taste of some of the Old Testament passages regarding the final judgment. And it was interesting. um, So you mentioned uh, the second time he referenced the prophet, that being Isaiah. That that seems very clear. I was curious, uh, the first time he referenced the prophet in the very first sentence, I was wondering if that was also Isaiah, because there's a passage in Ezekiel that describes the last judgment in a way similar to what's written here. And it's not a happy depiction, as Gregory points out.
1: Right. We find a lot of references to the end times throughout the Old Testament, and they're not happy pictures. Now, bear in mind, these two big ideas, law and gospel, And these are just clear pronouncements of the law Mm -hmm. that God wants to remind us that, you know, he's serious about us turning to him. He's provided the remedy for all people of all time through the death of his son. Here is the most precious gift the world has ever or will ever see. And now's the time to receive it.
0: Right. Right. And I think that's one of the, past, the the parts of this Gregory passage that I like the most um, in the second paragraph here, where he talks about, uh, you know, that very day, the door of repentance would have been open to these people. There will come a time when, uh, you know, salvation through faith and repentance uh, was available that morning, but isn't in that evening. Right. And yeah. that is a very uh, sobering thought.
1: It is a sobering thought. And if we, if we dwell on that, and think about that. Then we think that God is harsh,
0: mm-hmm.
1: and we we use the phrase that um, God condemning someone it, that it is an alien work of God. It's not a work He wants to do. We know that mm-hmm. God does not delight in the death of the wicked, and we know that God desires all people to be to to be saved and to come to a knowledge of the truth. So this is an alien work of God, but it's also true to His nature that he can't abide by sin forever. Right. Jesus comes and lives among sinners, so uh, he, he does that to rescue them from their sin. Right.
0: Yeah. right. And Of course, we, we see the seriousness of our sins best during the crucifixion, right? And yeah. uh, the purpose of the incarnation, uh, to die for us and save us from those sins. Yeah. But that's not something that came for free, right? That came at a great price.
1: It's a great price. And you know, sometimes we we human beings, we're we're pretty foolish. We we don't like to listen to our parents when they know what's best for us. We rebel against God even though He knows what's best for us. People try to help us and we refuse their help. We're we're sinful, we're stubborn, we're self centered, and 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 God's trying to get our attention. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Once
0: Right. Well, um, since we're talking about preparation and the need to be prepared for the final judgment, perhaps we can talk practically about what that looks like. What does it mean to be prepared either for our own death or for Christ's second coming?
1: Yeah, it's interesting. Um, Let me just read a bit more from Matthew. We're in in chapter 25 now. Sure. But let me read a bit more. Um, the, The parable of the talents. And And a talent was a unit of of money, okay? For the kingdom of heaven is like a man traveling to a far country who called his own servants and delivered his goods to them. And to one he gave five talents, to another two, and to another one, to each according to his own ability. And immediately he went on a journey. Then he who had received the five talents went and traded with them and made another five talents. And likewise, he who had received two gained two more also. He also, who had received two talents, came and said, Lord, you delivered to me two talents. Look, I have gained two more talents besides them. His Lord said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a few things. I will make you ruler over many things. Enter into the joy of your Lord. Then he who had received the one talent came and said, Lord, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you have not sown and gathering where you have not scattered seed. And I was afraid and went and hid your talent in the ground. Look, there you have what is yours. But his Lord answered and said to him, You wicked and lazy servant, you knew that I reap where I have not sown and gather where I have not scattered seed. So you ought to have deposited my money with the bankers, and at my coming I would have received back my own with interest. So take the talent from him and give it to him who has ten talents. For to everyone who has more will be given, and he will have abundance. But from him who does not have, even what he has will be taken away. And cast the unprofitable servant into the outer darkness, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Now, just a couple of comments on this. One, I knew you were a harsh man. In verse 24, Lord, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you have not sown. So the, the servant doesn't have respect or love for his master. But interestingly, if we look at the beginning of this reading, for the kingdom of heaven is like a man traveling to a far country who called his own servants and delivered his goods to them. Now, this this is Jesus. Jesus does travel to that far country. He, his ascension is is when he's leaving, Mm -hmm. and he leaves his people with good gifts, wonderful gifts. The gift of his word, the gift of baptism, the Lord's supper. He leaves us with these wonderful gifts, and he asks us to put them to use.
0: That's right. That's right. So yes, perhaps we have a tendency of focusing focusing on the harshness of these teachings, but uh, in doing that, we're neglecting um, to acknowledge the good gifts that we do have access to immediately and right now.
1: Right, and and so when Jesus returns, which is what we're talking about tonight, when when the when the Master returns, he he's gonna he's gonna call us to account. Mm-hmm. It's mm-hmm. it's law, it's law, right. Okay. Right. It's a statement of law. Christ is going to return and he's going to say, okay, what have you been doing with what I gave you while I was gone? Right. Now I'm back, pony up.
0: Right. Exactly. Law. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So we have all this law. Perhaps uh, perhaps, give us some gospel here, uh, Pastor, to tie this together.
1: <laughs> yeah. Okay. Let's just finish out this connection between good works and our our life in christ in light of his return let's just look a little bit more at matthew let me put that back up on the screen the son of man will judge the nations when the son of man comes in his glory and all the holy angels with him then he will sit on the throne of his glory all the nations will be gathered before him and he will separate them one from another as a shepherd divides his sheep from the goats when did we see you a stranger and take you in? Or, these are very difficult questions, right? Um, Mm -hmm. Or naked and clothe you? Or when did we see you sick or in prison and come to you? And the king will answer and say to them, assuredly, I say to you, inasmuch as you did it to one of the least of these, my brethren, you did it to me. Then he will also say to those on the left hand, depart from me, you cursed, into the everlasting fire prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry, and you gave me no food. I was thirsty, and you gave me no drink. I was a stranger, and you did not take me in. Naked, and you did not clothe me. Sick and in prison, and you did not visit me. Then they also will answer him, saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry, or thirsty, or a stranger, or naked, or sick, or in prison, and did not minister to you? Then he will answer them, saying, Assuredly, I say to you, inasmuch as you did not do it to one of the least of these, you did not do it to me and these will go away into everlasting punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. Now, you want a little gospel. <laughs> okay, <laughs> we, we, we all need a lot of gospel. The, Jesus emphasizes these things, our life in him, because he's the one who empowers us to live in a different way. There's a, there's a wonderful hymn, which I'm not going to read all of it because it's really long, but salvation unto us has come. And it addresses this very issue of our good works. Stanza 1 says, Salvation unto us has come by God's free grace and favor. Good works cannot avert our doom. They help and save us never. Faith looks to Jesus Christ alone, who did for all the world atone. He is our one Redeemer. Now in in Stanza 9, Faith clings to Jesus' cross alone and rests in him unceasing. And by its fruits, true faith is known with love and hope increasing. For faith alone can justify, works serve our neighbor, and supply the proof that faith is living. Right. They're signposts. All these good things that Jesus asked us to do, they're, they're signposts for us and for the unbeliever. That, exactly. That God is good and God is gracious.
0: Right, right. And it's, it's interesting you talk about the relationship between these works and the final judgment because um, all of these parables take a slightly different flavor. And I think some of them, like the parable of the talents, are you know, obviously explicitly referring to works. But yeah. if you look at the parable of the, the ten virgins, um, see, I think you can read that in the light of faith rather than works. Perhaps the, the oil symbolizes faith rather than you know, any sort of good work. Well, that's, some, that's ultimately going to be the deciding factor, right?
1: Uh, that is ultimately the deciding factor, and they all fell asleep, didn't they? Didn't they all fall asleep?
0: Yes. Yeah, that's one thing that was really interesting because we we get these admonitions in Scripture to stay awake, yeah. because we don't know, uh, you know, when exactly, exactly. But even the wise virgins fell asleep in the parable, and I find that very interesting.
1: Because. Yes, God calls us to life of good works because he's concerned about the people that we can help. We are his hands and feet, his mouth and ears here. We are the we have resources. We have unlimited resources as his children. And he's serious about helping everyone and letting them in on this wonderful good news, this this, this message of forgiveness through the shed blood of Christ. This is this is God's heart. This is what he once communicated. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations. That's the last words he leaves as he ascends. Right. He, he wants us to know this is important stuff. This is important work that you Christian people, my dear brothers and sisters, need to be about. So, of course, he's stressing it. Exactly. But I love the hymn. For Indeed. faith alone can justify works say, serve our neighbor and supply the proof that faith is
0: living. Right, Exactly. Yeah, it's our exactly. banner. Yeah, yeah, but yeah. That's right. And and that goes all back to that passage in James where you know it says we see that uh, you're not justified by faith alone, but also by works. And that's that we see is important thing, right? Uh, because it's in some ways the evidence of faith working inside of us. It's not saying that uh, faith alone doesn't justify. It's saying that we see that we're justified not by faith alone, but also through the works that we do. Right. So that's and, important.
1: And we can also talk about being being justified in the eyes of others. Exactly. Right. We're, just, we're justified in God's eyes through the shed blood of his son when we in faith receive that precious gift. We're justified in the eyes of others by what we do. Exactly. That civil right. righteousness is important. We, Because we're saved by faith doesn't mean that our works aren't important. And that's right. what Jesus is pounding home here. And he's also saying, watch for when I return. I'm going to come back in an hour you don't you don't expect. And I, I really, listen, kids, I really want you to be ready. Right. Okay? Right, exactly. I don't want yeah. to lose any of you. You mentioned, you bring up James in chapter 1, verse 27 uh, relig- from James. Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. He wants, us, he wants our religion to be one of helping others, especially especially the vulnerable, the weak, the hurting, and the sick. Right, right. And- now also again, for Matthew, this wonderful, when did we see you sick or in prison and all those questions. Whatever you did for one of the least of these, my brothers, you did it to me. Think about that. We all make these great claims. How nice it would be to see Jesus or to... Be there when he's crucified, or to be able to talk with him, and well, what he's telling us in that section from Matthew is, uh, "I'm there when when you help someone, you're helping me. Right. If you're serious about wanting to to be engaged with me, well, there.
0: Right. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. That's exactly right.
1: All these people made in my image, help. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Exactly. Right.
1: We don't right. see it. We often don't see it, right?
0: Yeah. Uh, yeah. We talked about this previously, but yeah, we want these like bold gestures to kind of confirm our faith, right? We want hard evidence or proof that faith is working in us, but we often neglect the more mundane things that are meant to supply that sort of evidence, right?
1: Yeah. And here we have this wonderful allusion and mention in, in the reading um, from from Gregory about us being the bride,
0: the- exactly. Yeah, yeah. That's a really interesting thing that Gregory had had brought up because um, obviously in the parable uh, they're anticipating the arrival of the bridegroom. But what Gregory does that's really interesting is he mentions that you know it's kind of our marriage that we're anticipating, right? <laughs> yes.
1: Yeah. It's kind. Of, it's it's kind of fascinating the mm-hmm. whole the whole picture of um, Christ the groom. And his bride, the church, uh, I I love it. It's it, there's commitment, there's dedication, there's fidelity, there's all these wonderful things that God that God in the flesh is so true to, and that we as the bride are not always so true to. But we also appreciate the the groom's work and sacrifice and
0: everything. Right, exactly. Yeah, Yeah.
1: The the bride wears white sometimes, customs dictate, but the bride wears white at the wedding not because she's somehow pure or holy or something. No, the bride at the wedding wears white because she's representing the church. Mm -hmm. The church Mm -hmm. is cleansed, the church is forgiven, the church can wear white, the bride Mm -hmm. can wear white, whether it's her first marriage or third marriage or whatever, that's not the point. Mm-hmm. The point is, she wears white because she's the bride. She's she's representing the church. The church has been cleansed through the shed blood of the lamb.
0: Right, right. You uh, always make a distinction between subjective and yeah. objective justification, and that's the kind of thing we have to keep in mind here, right? It's not that subjective uh, purity uh, that no, uh, you know, uh, that symbolizes the white wedding gown. It's this uh, work that Christ has done for us instead.
1: Yeah, it's his righteousness that's being represented by someone wearing white. Why we often have white baptismal gowns or confirmation gowns and things like that to represent, to show the purity that, to show visibly the purity that Christ gives us spiritually. Right. We show that. Right. Which right. is good. It's good. Very good. The relationship, the groom has come to rescue his bride. Indeed. It's a classic hero story.
0: It, it is. it is. yeah, and it's yeah, it's and Jesus is very fond of speaking in these parables and these stories, and it really helps us connect with the themes and the messages that he's trying to convey.
1: Yes, and so here, it seems the readings we've had tonight as we year near the end of the church here, it seems so arduous. It seems involved. it seems, oh, rather scary. And, and maybe a bit tenuous. That's not the point of these readings. These readings are to tell us that Christ is committed to us. He's going to return. Don't lose heart. Keep doing what you're supposed to be doing. Right. One of those uh, funny Luther stories. Um, and you just really have to wonder how many of them are true or just, oh, that sounds like something Luther would say in the, <laughs> right. of the years. Over the years, it's put down in print that, yeah, Luther said that right um, it, it, so one of them is, well, Martin, what what would you do if you knew that the Lord was going to return tomorrow? He said, "I'd plant a tree hmm. which at first brush, you think what Martin are' you stupid? the tree's <laughs> right. not the tree's not going to have time to grow. so w- why would you do that? his point is that he's going to do what he's supposed to be doing.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And if he's supposed to plant a tree, well, he's going to plant a tree.
0: Right. And and that's, that's really what it comes down to because we don't know the hour. We always need to be vigilant to do what we're supposed to be doing. Yeah. Uh, even if we keep this eternal end state in mind, we don't want to neglect the work that we have to do in this life because it's important work.
1: Yeah, and the, the, there were Christian people that Paul had to, to redress a bit and say, no, 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 uh, you, you can't just sit around and wait for him to return. You, you've got to you know keep doing what you're supposed to be doing. And right. so Martin Luther's comment about, well, I plant a tree. Well, so too, you know, if we knew Christ was going to come tomorrow, well, I'd still go home and I'd do the things I was supposed to do this evening and and just keep going, keep going with the normal things. One one of my soapboxes, if you don't mind if I get on the soapbox for a minute. Go for it. Okay. One of my soapboxes is that it's the daily things that are important. It's the things we do every day. And why then we celebrate big life changes like a baptism or a confirmation or a wedding or a new job or whatever we celebrate those big life things because that changes what we do every day.
0: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
1: what we do every day is important and when there's a big adjustment to that we if it's a good adjustment then then we celebrate. you know luther also talked about you know the, the holy work of of changing a baby's diaper.
0: right i remember this one yeah
1: yeah and 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 we we think that's a menial task.
0: right But yeah, it's about focusing on your station in life, right? And doing the work you've been assigned to do. So for a lot of us, that's the work of parenting, um, providing for your family. We have all these, quote unquote, menial tasks that we're doing today to day, but that's actually how we fulfill our uh, God-given vocations, right? Exactly.
1: And this is what Jesus is trying to impress upon us with these parables. Do the things you're supposed to be doing. And when I return, everything's going to be okay. Right. You're doing, you're staying faithful to your callings. You're staying faithful to me. What you're doing shows to your neighbor, to your spouse, to your children, to your parents what you're doing shows that you're staying faithful and you're reminding them through our good works. We're, we remind others of God's constancy,
0: right? Exactly. That's right. Okay, mm-hmm. Oh, very good. Okay, um, I do have a collect here. Uh, if uh, we're ready for that, or did you have anything else uh, you wanted to close with?
1: No, I think we're good. Uh, it, it's simply a matter of understanding that our dear Lord is trying to impress upon us his commitment to us, his continually mo- continually motivating us to spread his word, spread his love, and take care of those around us. Right. So that right. when he returns, everything's in its right place.
0: Right. Exactly. Right. Okay.
1: Forgiveness, that precious, free, enormously wonderful gift. We can't earn it. We can't buy it. We can't convince God to give it to us. We can't argue our way into heaven, but God in the flesh comes and bears our sins in his own body, takes them upon himself, actually bleeds and dies on our behalf, rises from the dead, ascends to heaven, gives us a great commission as he's ascending to heaven and promises to one day come back and take us to be with him for time and eternity. Right. Is that and enough that's gospel? the gospel and all is of this, right? <laughs> is that enough gospel?
0: <laughs> exactly. That's, that's a yeah. good way to end it, for yeah. sure. Okay,
1: good. Then we will, um, you said you do have a collect.
0: I do. Okay. I do. Again, this is from uh, Oremus for the readings appointed for the day. Okay. Absolve, we implore you, O Lord, your people from their offenses, that from the bonds of our sins, which by reason of our frailty we have brought upon us, we may be delivered by your bountiful goodness. Through Jesus Christ, your Son, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen.